0: hi everyone it's nice to see you after a couple of weeks of being away and on retreat teaching and then in meetings so it's been it's been a while it's been a couple of weeks since we've been together in this in this form so um in this session, in this class, we've been exploring over the last while the teachings on wise mindfulness as taught through the Satipatthana Sutta, the four foundations of mindfulness. And today, you know, we're kind of at the transition point between the third foundation and the fourth foundation. And But I want to back up and talk a little bit about the context of Mindfulness on the path again. Um, you know, we've kind of dived into uh, the the Satipatthana over the last weeks, in particular around the third foundation. So I want to step back and talk more generally about mindfulness on the path again, and and then speak a little bit about you know how the fourth foundation is a little bit of a of a transition, what what it is pointing to. Um, and then we can go into some of those instructions in coming, coming weeks. So, um, the teachings on from the Satipatthana are kind of described as the definition, we could say, the definition of what wise mindfulness is in various places in the suttas where the Buddha talks about wise mindfulness. What is wise mindfulness? He says well this is the establishment of the four foundations of mindfulness it's the establishment of mindfulness in these four aspects of experience body aware of mindful of body as a body Um, feeling aware of feelings as feelings and feelings here not meaning emotion as much as the uh, simpler experience of pleasant unpleasant or neutral Um, experience both bodily and mental pleasant unpleasant neutral experience understanding feelings as feelings understanding mind states as mind states where mind states moves into a little bit more of that emotional terrain but encompasses more than that Um, it 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 includes um, all of the emotional terrain that's based on Uh, the arising of greed and aversion so all of the reactive emotions are included in this and as well all of the wholesome emotions the emotions um, based on uh, non-greed non-aversion so love and connection and compassion and joy delight Um, but then also things like tranquility and mindfulness are included in these mind states so um um, a kind of a, a, a recognition of that part of experience, you know, that in and of itself, mind states as mind states. And so these first three foundations are encouraging us to be curious about our experience as experience in and of itself. And this is connected to this. why this is wise mindfulness, and this uh, this exploration of being curious about experience as experience in the present moment that's that's in the definition of what wise mindfulness is and i think it's useful to kind of stop there and 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 reflect about that because um, this quality of being aware in the present moment can be directed or used for so many different purposes can be used for um wholesome purposes unwholesome purposes and so this quality of being aware in the present moment isn't inherently um skillful and so the teachings on it, it, it maybe we can say it's a, it's it's a neutral quality this quality this capacity to be aware of what's happening in the present moment while it's happening it's a neutral quality, and its skillfulness or unskillfulness is dependent on the intention and views that support it. So if um if the uh intention or the, the if the intention that is supporting the interest in being present in the present moment is to um be really quiet while you're um, going through what, you know, a thief, for instance, being really quiet and aware of what's happening while you're going through a house in order to steal things. That is not curious or interested about the experience of being aware for the purpose of understanding what it's like to be present. It's That's not awareness of body as a body. It's it's aware of the body in order to do something in this case steal and so the uh, the teachings of mindfulness are embedded in a broader context. they're embedded in the the Eightfold Path where the first part of the Eightfold Path is this view of um, you know, kind of the the orientation around what is it that creates suffering, and what is it that leads away from suffering, and that this view is um, kind of the view that informs or shapes our intentions towards engaging in the world. Now, it may not shape all of our intentions towards engaging in the world, and yet, as we start to, uh, I mean, because we we have you know, things that we need to do, for instance, you know, planting in a garden, I have the space outside my, my, um, my house that I have that I can plant things in. And, um, you know, the, the, the intention there is, you know, some of it is to create a nice space where I can relax and be at ease. And I would say that's not an unwholesome intention. Um, And it could be a wholesome intention. At times, it could be a wholesome intention if I'm engaging with that process with a curiosity around, is this creating stress and suffering or is this creating um, support for a movement in the direction of ease and peace? And I must admit, there are times when the process is engaged with uh, stress and suffering. And so, you know, that's a useful thing to notice. So that's the view that kind of shapes, uh, shapes the whole of our path is the curiosity about what is suffering the, and, and coming back to that exploration around greed, aversion, and delusion, how greed, aversion, and delusion, when they are present, they shape more stress in our lives. And when greed and aversion and delusion are weaker and fall away, it begins to shape the reduction of suffering in our lives and the cultivation of wholesome qualities of love and patience and kindness and compassion and concentration and mindfulness and equanimity. So the, uh, the, the context in which we cultivate um, this wise mindfulness is shaped by this, in, this, uh, this view which leads to an intention to be curious about what is suffering and what leads away from suffering. So the, the initial teachings of the Buddha really highlight that understanding and points to you know, understand from an intellectual perspective, greed, aversion, and delusion lead us away from happiness. They create stress and suffering in the moment. They tend to perpetuate greed, aversion, and delusion. They tend to create stress in our relationships. And so there's a teaching about that to start with and an encouragement in the middle part of the Eightfold Path to engage with ethics, to engage in ways that are uh, not adding harm to our uh, relationships, refraining from killing, refraining from taking what's not given, refraining from false speech, refraining from harming through our sexuality, and refraining from harming ourselves through intoxicating our bodies and minds. And so the, uh, the, um, the path is pointing in the early parts of the path to, these are things you need to understand. This is This is helpful to understand this. If you would like to live a life... That is moving in the direction of happiness, of ease, of a reduction in suffering, of a, of a, a movement towards freedom from suffering. These, uh, you know, these these teachings are well; they're ethical teachings in that they're pointing to what is moving us towards happiness and away from suffering and struggle, and, and that, that they're, they're pointed to as what's skillful and what's unskillful in that regard, or what's wholesome and what's unwholesome in that regard. And this is an encouragement. If that if you want to move in the direction of happiness, these things are useful. If you want to move away from suffering, letting go of these qualities and hearts of mind, or cultivating conditions that support the letting go of those, are useful. And so the, this part of the path begins to help us to understand, maybe starting from a kind of a rational perspective, hearing the teachings, that this is useful. The teaching of wise effort, which immediately precedes wise mindfulness, is pointing explicit to, explicitly to these wholesome and unwholesome qualities. It, it talks about wise effort, talks about what are wholesome, what are un unwholesome qualities of mind, and that we should encourage, support the wholesome, cultivate the wholesome, and that we should um, look at what it means to let go of the unwholesome, what it means to not encourage conditions for those unwholesome states to arise. And so that, again, it's it's a pointing to what's helpful and not helpful for a particular purpose, for the purpose of Freedom from suffering. Mindfulness is needed all along the path as we explore ethical conduct, as we explore this um, um, teaching of wise effort. And so there's a kind of an integration. I don't think of the Eightfold Path as, you know, first do the first step and then do the second step. It's actually you're, you're really, you're cultivating all eight aspects of the eightfold path with each part of the eightfold path so with you know exploring particularly you know exploring the uh, you know teachings around ethics we need to be mindful of what's happening in our hearts and minds is this motivated by greed or aversion you know that the the um the teachings encourage us to refrain from actions but that creates conditions for us to see not just in this teaching um in the buddhist teaching it's not simply about refrain from the action and try to prevent yourself from doing the action it's an encouragement to have those um possibility the the movement towards doing a particular action to be kind of a wake-up bell what's going on in there to be aware of what's happening if i'm getting ready to um Take something that's not mine. What's happening in there? Is there greed going on? Is there, is there a feeling of being deprived of something, of the, the, that somebody else has something and I don't, and I'm jealous or um, envious or um, angry? You know, so what's happening in there? So there is this encouragement to, through the entirety of our practice, be curious about what's happening in our experience. And then the teachings on wise mindfulness begin to point to how we do that. How do we attend to our experience? And this is really where it begins to point to the non-judgmental quality of this awareness. So this, you know, this may not be obvious from the first few aspects of the eightfold path. You know, the 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 teaching on Sila, for instance, you know, um, refrain from taking what's not given. Refrain from creating harm through sexuality. You know that that in and of itself doesn't sound like I should notice when I'm inclining towards harm through through uh, my speech and open to that experience and be aware of it and see what's happening. You know, it it, it could include. In, in the, you know, in, in just the statement of that, you know, refrain from taking what's not given. It could include a repression of the, the, the movement of heart and mind to, uh, to want to take something. You know, it'd be like, oh, that's wrong. That's bad. I'm not supposed to, I'm supposed to refrain from that. I'm supposed to re- refrain from, from that action. And so the movement towards doing that, I should suppress that too we might think that that's what that teaching means. But the teaching of wise mindfulness, which again is really, I think, embedded through the entirety of the Eightfold Path, the teaching of wise mindfulness points to instructions like, when greed is arising in the mind, one understands that greed is arising in the mind. When aversion is arising in the mind, one understands that aversion is arising in the mind. And so the the first three uh, aspects of wise mindfulness are really pointing to that the the aware of the body as a body aware of feelings as feelings aware of mind states as mind states is really pointing to that capacity to know experience in the present moment whatever it is and be aware of it so this this may begin to i mean this this can be confusing at times if i'm allowing the experience of aversion to be arising isn't that cultivating aversion and and this uh, is where wise mindfulness we begin to understand as we explore it we 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 do feel as we play with it i mean certainly when i first heard this teaching i didn't trust it you know i should know i'm angry while i'm angry you know what good is that going to do that was my first thought when i read this it's like how is that going to help but my friend you know a friend who gave me this this book where i read this said well try it out because it's useful (laughs) you know just give it a try and so it's like okay you know let's see let's see what happens and you know, to my surprise, it was very useful. It didn't seem to perpetuate the anger. In fact, what seemed to happen was as I could become aware of it, it created the conditions for me to be able to kind of set it down and shift attention elsewhere or just see it kind of unwind. A lot of different things happened as I explored it. And so the this is the power of wise mindfulness of the curiosity of curiosity of mind states in and of themselves feelings in and of themselves without judgment with that kind of quality of allowing well this is what it's like to be a human being experiencing this experiencing frustration or anger or desire or uh, irritation or unpleasant feeling or pleasant feeling or this sensation in the body This is the experience. So, these first three foundations are really cultivating a capacity for us to stabilize with this kind of mindfulness. The kind of mindfulness that is simply able to, yeah, this is what's happening in the present moment. Aware of that. Aware of that. The fourth foundation. Uh, I would say, is an encouragement. I'm going to step back again again for a second because what happens as we we, uh, begin to have this curiosity of this is what's arising in the present moment, so anger is arising in the present moment, for instance. What happens in that allowing non-judgmental kind of mindfulness is that we get a direct experiential understanding of what the first six aspects of the Eightfold Path were telling us. It's suffering to be motivated by greed, aversion, and delusion. That these qualities are not helpful, that they create contraction and tension in the mind. They are not onward leading. They create... Tension in the world, they create tension in our relationships, and so we get that that experience, the experiential the mindfulness is what gives us the experiential feedback that what those first six uh, practices of the Eightfold path, path were telling us, we know for ourselves. yeah that's that's a truth. You know that's the nature of greed is not a pleasant place the nature of aversion is suffering so the the, the mindfulness begins to help the mind to recognize the, the what what the teachings of wise effort have told us what the teachings of what wise view have told us that it's not helpful to follow greed so that it's, that it's painful, that it's suffering, that it is creating suffering to be engaged with greed, aversion, and delusion. And so the, the, the beginning practice, the, as we begin to explore, just recognizing, okay, this is the experience of anger arising in the present moment. That's what we begin to experientially know. This is actually insight. It may not seem like it. You know, it may not seem like recognizing that this is suffering is insight, but it is insight because before we turn to curiosity about experience as experience, usually where our mind goes when something, a reactive emotion is arising, is into thoughts about what this is about and what I need to do about it and who is... um, who do I need to change or how how do I need to change the situation? So again, you know, I've told my stories around anger a lot, but, you know, that first kind of recognition of, oh, this is this is anger arising in the present moment and this is suffering. There was kind of the recognition at at a point in the the process of my looking at anger over the first couple of weeks was the recognition that what I thought was going to happen was that the person that I was angry with was going to be miserable by my anger. And I had not noticed that I was in a lot of pain because of that anger. And so that turning with mindfulness gave the mind that education that it had completely missed because of its thoughts, because of its ideas, because of its views about the situation, about you done me wrong, and I'm going to get back at you, completely missed that that experience of anger in the present moment was painful in and of itself. And so the the turning with mindfulness begins to give us that education about the direct experience of greed, aversion, and delusion being suffering. And likewise, we also begin to to get the, um, the sense when wholesome qualities arise in the mind, when care or connection arise in the mind, when patience arises in the mind, when we're aware of that, we begin to feel the the quality of kind of connection of that. Again, it's an experiential thing, kind of a, a different quality in the heart and mind. When there's greed or aversion or delusion arising in the mind, usually there's a feeling of constriction in the heart. An agitation a quality of uh, pressure or tension when wholesome qualities are arising there's often an experience of expansiveness of ease of um, receptivity of balance and so that experience we feel with mindfulness that experience There's a kind of a direct movement towards the the mind and heart know that way is the way towards not suffering. So the, the encouragement to just be with our experience as experience is essentially helping us to understand directly, experientially, what the teachings have been talking about. Greed, aversion, delusion, create suffering. Actions that follow out of greed and aversion and delusion are not helpful. They tend to perpetuate suffering in the world. So the the mindfulness instructions in and of themselves don't tell us, the, the teachings on wise mindfulness, don't tell us to stop doing something or to do something else. Throughout the Satipatthana, there's not instructions around. What's the right word? Um, antidotes. The Sati- there are other places in the Eightfold Path. Within, um, within um, wise effort, there's a place for antidotes. But there's also a place for simply wise mindfulness within wise effort and um, there's a place for antidotes when wise mindfulness is not possible when we recognize there's so much reactivity in the mind that we can't simply settle back and say oh yeah this is what's happening this is the experience of being a human being experiencing this reactivity in the present moment sometimes the reactivity is way more powerful than our capacity to be aware in that moment and if that's what's happening then Using antidotes can be really helpful, turning our attention to something else, cultivating um, our capacity to turn our attention away from the, uh, the reactivity towards something where it's a little bit easier to stabilize the mindfulness. So there are places for antidotes in the practice, but the description in the suttas of wise mindfulness is just talking about noticing what's happening in the present moment while it's happening. Body. Body is a body in and of itself. Feelings as feelings in and of themselves. When pleasant feeling is arising, we know pleasant feeling is arising. When unpleasant feeling is arising, we know unpleasant feeling is arising. When greed is arising, we know greed is arising. When aversion is arising, we know aversion is arising. When non greed is arising, we know non greed is arising. So it is It is a real encouragement to, to cultivate that capacity to receive what's happening and be, be curious about it. And what happens there, as I was just exploring, is as we are curious about our experience, we get the direct experiential uh, understanding of what is helpful and what is not helpful. So wise mindfulness makes evident to us what wise view wise intention the sila practices and wise effort have been talking about not painful to be engaged with those qualities of mind heart opening and connecting to be engaged with non-greed non-aversion non delusion so the i think of the first three foundations as really an encouragement to stabilize this kind of non-reactive, non-judgmental, mindful attention with the body, with feelings, and with mind states. The fourth foundation begins to be an encouragement to be curious about the conditionality that leads to why these things happen in our minds. Why greed aversion arise in the mind? Why they might not arise in the mind? What are the conditions in which they don't arise in the mind? And what are the conditions in which they fade those unwholesome qualities of mind? For wholesome qualities of mind, there's an encouragement to be curious again about why they arise and what supports them. So this is a this is um I look at the, the Fourth Foundation. It's There's a couple of different ways to look at the Fourth Foundation, and this is a, this is a key one because the instructions in the Fourth Foundations really point to recognizing the arising, the um, conditions that lead to the arising, the passing away, the conditions that lead to the passing away, of various aspects of our experience. The teachings as a whole, the... The fourth foundation has five different sections to it in which we're encouraged to look at different, let's say, look at our experience through different Dharma lenses. The Dharma lens of the hindrances, the presence or absence of the hindrances, the Dharma lens of the five aggregates of these these, uh, processes of body and mind that make up our experience. The processes of the six sense bases, which are the um, uh, six five physical sense bases plus the sense base of the mind. The um, seven factors of awakening, kind of the lens of looking at, are the wholesome qualities of mind present or absent? The flip side of looking at the hindrances, essentially, the hindrances is looking at whether the unwholesome qualities of mind are present or absent. The uh, seven factors is looking at whether the wholesome qualities of mind are present or absent and then the 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 last one is looking at the looking at experience through the perspective of the four noble truths and we'll go over these in more depth over the coming weeks i'm I'm not just going (laughs) to leave it with that but um i want to give you a kind of the big picture today um so um the 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 name of the fourth foundation is dhamma nupasana awareness or mindfulness of Dhammas. dhamma is a word that has multiple meanings in uh in the pali and it's used in different ways in the suttas Um, sometimes it means the buddhist teachings and you know so What what is the you know what does the Buddha teach? The Buddha teaches the Eightfold Path, the Buddha teaches the Four Noble Truths, the Buddha teaches this bodily process of mind and body can be understood in these five different processes, the five aggregates. The Buddha teaches about the hindrances and how those get in the way of concentration. So there's those are the kind of the Dharma teachings another word another way this word is used as kind of the nature it's another translation for dhamma is nature essentially it's it's um when we say that is the dhamma of something it's like that's the nature of something the nature of experience is impermanent so in a way that that dhamma uh, is is an expression of the nature of experience not not specifically speaking about the buddhist teaching but more more the way for instance um you know there's a there's a there's the natural law of gravity which is the nature of bodies that have mass you know, there's there's this natural law it's just the nature of it there's a kind of a a a truth about that and then there's the teaching about gravity and newton's law where we get the equation that's kind of like you know what the buddha the buddhist teachings piece the the law of gravity itself is nature whether the whether newton described it or not it is the nature of bodies to attract you know so and that's a similar distinction here between dhamma as nature dhamma as truth and dhamma as the buddhist teachings The Buddha is attempting to describe the the, uh, nature of experience, but that nature is present or is, is happening. Experience is impermanent, whether or not the Buddha teaches that experience is impermanent. So that's a kind of a distinction. So we could say another definition for Dhamma is truth or nature. What is the nature of experience? And another word for another word for Dhamma is simply experience or phenomena so the arising of a sensation is a dhamma that's another way that that the word is used the arising of a sight that's a dhamma the arising of a sound is a dhamma that's usually used as a small d uh, dhamma and so the uh the expression in the fourth foundation you know, parallel to the first foundation, the second foundation, the third foundation, the encouragement of being aware of the body as a body, the body in and of itself, being aware of feelings as feelings, being aware of mind states as mind states. There's a similar phrase, being aware of Dhammas as Dhammas. And so uh, one way to understand that phrase is to be aware of Dhamma, the experience that's arising through the perspective of both the teachings of the Buddha, through the perspective of the Dharma, and also perhaps through the perspective of the nature of those experiences. So the phenomena, sight arises, sound arises, sound arises and passes away, sound, all experience is impermanent, all experience is unreliable. And so this, this is another way of understanding that phrase. One understands the Dhamma as the Dhamma. The Dhamma as experience as experience itself. So the, the, uh, the teachings then could also be understood in this fourth foundation of kind of familiarizing ourselves with the various some of the various teachings of the Buddha In our direct experience. So, the first teaching around the hindrances, for example, you know, getting familiar with what is the experience of of sense desire? What is the experience of ill will? What is the experience of sloth and torpor? What is the experience of restlessness? What is the experience of doubt? And that is the first encouragement in the Satipatthana, in the fourth foundation around the the framework of looking at our experience through the perspective of the hindrances. Get to know when the hindrance is present and when it's absent. Again, not an encouragement to apply an antidote to that hindrance. There are other teachings in the suttas that talk about antidotes for the hindrances, but within the Satipatthana Sutta, the encouragement is know when it's present, know when it's absent if there is that capacity to know when it's present and to me that that encouragement is kind of relying on the momentum that has been established through the first exploration of the first three foundations so the hindrance of of ill will is arising we know that we recognize it not only through the recognition of oh this is ill will but also through how it affects the body what the feeling tone is and what the mind states are uh, you know ill will can have the quality of aversion in it and the quality of confusion in it so that we we see what that quality is in connection with body feeling and other uh, mental experience so the uh, the 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 first encouragement in the fourth foundation is to notice this presence or absence of these qualities of mind, of these hindrances. In this case, we're talking about the hindrances. And there's a similar kind of encouragement throughout the Satipatthana, uh, the fourth foundation of the Satipatthana, that we kind of are curious about what's here, what's not here. Um, Then, in addition, in the In the fourth foundation, there's an encouragement to be curious about what leads to the arising of the hindrance. What leads to the ending of that hindrance? And what leads to the non arising of that hindrance? Now, in this, in this case. So this is, this is, there's a similar flavor of instruction throughout the other um, parts of the fourth foundation. But this part, we're all we're encouraged to notice presence or absence with all of the frameworks, you know, presence or absence of, uh, you know, what the arising and passing away of the of sight, sight, sound, smell, say, t- 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 taste, touch, the presence or absence of the seven factors of awakening, but this part where we get into looking at the conditionality around each experience, there's slightly different instructions in each of the, of the um, f- through looking at experience through each of those dharma frameworks. So in the in the hindrances, the encouragement is to understand how it arises, what supports its passing away. And what happens, uh, what, what supports its not arising again in the future? So, this, this is not the kind of doing we might think it is, where we're like, in, like looking back and trying to figure out well, how did this happen? This kind of understanding of the conditionality around the arising of some kind of reactivity. This begins to happen simply through the continuity of the mindfulness. If we're trying to figure it out, um, often we're we're in a place of um, you know there's a there's a reason why we're trying to figure it out. We think, think it's a problem, or um, you know we think we think the the mental the mental looking at the mental trying to figure out the reasons for experience will be missing the moment to moment arising of what is happening and the encouragement in the satipatthana is really directed towards noticing the moment to moment arising of what's happening and what does happen what can happen if there's an encouragement or an interest in noticing conditionality is that as the mindfulness begins to have a little more continuity a little more moment to moment awareness very naturally our minds work this way we begin to understand kind of how things condition each other how what what happens and so f- observing anger in my mind for instance you know as i explored this the mind began to see that there were thoughts in there that led to the arising of anger you know that that the thoughts were conditioning the arising of anger and particular views and ideas about those thoughts were conditioning the arising of anger so that this just was seen this was seen just through the willingness to know and be aware of this is what's happening in the present moment now as it's happening and so i think that the, the fourth foundation and we'll, we'll go into this more. It's almost time to stop here. But we'll go into this more in the coming weeks. I think the fourth foundation is an encouragement to look at conditionality of experience when continuity of mindfulness is present. And so it's a little bit more of, a, of an advanced instruction in a way. You know, it's it's uh, it it requires a little bit more stability of the mindfulness, and this doesn't mean that we have to have like days of continuity before we look at this. But there, there is, um, you know, this kind of seeing into the conditionality of why something arises, why something falls away, what supports the non-arising of something that that begins to happen, the more the more the stability of mindfulness, the more established the mindfulness is. And yet it might not happen if we weren't encouraged to be curious about the conditionality. And so that's what I see partly as this fourth foundation of mindfulness. And the first three were just notice experience, you know, notice what's arising, notice what's here, what's not here. Very much the first three foundations have that flavor. What's here, what's not here. The fourth foundation is is an encouragement to notice how what's here comes to be, notice how what's here falls away. So it's it's an encouragement to look at the uh, the conditioned nature of our experience, and the value of that is in seeing you know the first three foundations, the seeing of what's helpful and what's not helpful in experience, as we see. Yeah, aversion is not helpful. It creates stress and suffering. The mind gets interested in in that conditionality. The mind gets interested in what might help the mind to not go there. And so the the interest in conditions is learning how the mind might be able to let it go. The mind might be able to... um, understand how the conditions that might support it not arising in the future and then flipping this all entirely when we look at the seven factors of awakening that we begin to get familiar with the arising of these wholesome qualities and get curious about what supports them to get stronger what supports them to continue because our, experientially we have seen These lead away from suffering. So seeing the conditionality, the mind begins to learn how we can move more in the direction of the wholesome and more in the direction of letting go of the unwholesome.